Greetings and welcome to the Upper Pen Podcast. My name is Dakota and today I'm talking with Dr. Charles Cockle about his book, Taxi from Another Planet. Charles is a professor of astrobiology at the University of Edinburgh and former NASA and British Antarctic Survey scientist. Um, he is a fellow of the Royal Society of Edinburgh and the Explorers Club of New York and is an advisor to NASA's Center for the Utilization of Biological Engineering in Space and leads the Life Beyond Project in Prisons. That was a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> um, Taxi from Another Planet is an examination of his conversations with taxi drivers about his work and what we might find beyond our planet. Charles, thank you for joining me. Thank you, Dakota. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, so one of the things that I absolutely loved about this is um, you treated the taxi drivers very much like fellow investigators in this book. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think that taxi drivers always have this slightly, I mean, I, I'm not going to start off this by being negative right at the beginning of the, the podcast, but, you know, people tend to think of them as very talkative and sitting at the front of the cab uh, talking away. But of course, like I said at the beginning of the book, taxi drivers are, are plugged into the whole of humanity. You know, they listen to points of view and they talk to people from every walk of life, which is not a privilege that most of us have. Most of us tend to live in our, our little small bubbles doing our particular things that, that interest us. And so in some sense, taxi drivers are not only equal investigators. I would say that they have a, a breadth of, of outlook that's often broader than the rest of us can get access to. So they always seem to me to be the perfect people to talk to about life in the universe and to explore some of these slightly more perhaps rarefied discussions about life elsewhere, what it means to be alive, what it's what life on the earth is is up to and what it's all about. Uh, they have they have a perspective on this that most of us don't have. So I thought that talking to cab drivers, talking to taxi drivers would be a very good way to look at life in the universe and what everyone thinks about this. So how did you get started on this book? Did you just have all these conversations naturally? Well, it started actually with a, a specific conversation uh, on my way to a party at 10 Downing Street, the prime minister's residence. That's not a place I go to very often. But on this particular occasion, uh, which was sort of a coincidence because it was the journey that started this book, but, but I was driving there in a taxi to, to make sure I got there on time. It was actually for a party to welcome Tim Peake back from Space Station. He had just been in space. Uh, and and I, and I was, you know, they were asked, the taxi driver was asking me where I was going. And I was explaining that there was this party for Tim Peake. And then I got talking about my own job. And, and he just said out of the blue, are there alien taxi drivers? And I thought that was an astonishingly good question because, of course, to get a taxi driver, you need the origin of life. You need uh, that early single-celled life to turn into multi-celled animals. You need those animals to evolve brains. You need those brained animals to build a civilization. And you need one of those people living in that civilization to come up with the idea of charging someone money to take them from point A to point B, in other words, a taxi driver. So, in fact, embedded within a taxi driver is every evolutionary innovation that has occurred from the origin of life through to complex economics in a civilization living on a planet. So it encapsulates everything. And I just thought that was an astonishingly good question, actually, to, to, to capture every question in, in astrobiology or, or planetary sciences or however you want to, um, to frame that. 
And then I thought, well, actually, maybe this is a really good mechanism for discussing all sorts of things to do with life in the universe, not just alien life, but is it worthwhile exploring space? Uh, should we be caring about the environment before we go into space and so on? And so from that point on, I, I deliberately started conversations with taxi drivers uh, about all of these different aspects of life in the universe. And I thought, wouldn't it be great to write a book where I try to get as many different angles on life in the universe as I could? As I say, not just the alien life, but the, all the aspects of life in the universe. So that's what I did. And so I started, uh, start, I started having conversations with taxi drivers in the UK and US. And then this book starts off with a taxi driver conversation and then explores the particular angle they've brought up. And I, I talk about what we know about that, what I think about it, and what the scientific community thinks about that particular question. So in some sense, the taxi driver um, is the, uh, you could almost say uh, um, a mechanism, but I think that sounds like I'm using them, which is not, not the case. But it's it's a very good uh, it's a very good way to open up a conversation by by discussing it with someone like a cab driver. So so that's how the book happened. I really like the questions that they ask as kind of like thought provoking. Well, why doesn't why don't you go to space, right? <laughs> so those are there's, really interesting to me. Yeah, there's there's many questions, of course, that uh, that interest people. I think that the question of alien life interests people. But there are many other questions like, will I ever go to the moon? Or will I ever go to Mars? And when's that going to happen? And for other people, it's not when am I going to Mars, but why are we even wasting money uh, spending, you know, spending our time and money on, on aspirations like going to Mars in the first place? Some people have no interest in going to the moon and Mars. And that's, you know, that's understandable as well. So, so all of these questions are things that are, um, Again, I wouldn't call them more mundane because that sounds like I'm I'm saying they're they're not so important questions because they are. These are the questions that concern people beyond the sort of rarefied academic environment where we ask questions like how did life originate and what was the chemistry of the origin of life. Some people are not concerned about that. They're concerned about how their tax dollars are being spent on space, and that's uh, an equally important question for people's lives. And the wonderful thing about taxi drivers is they will they will come at this question of life in the universe from all these different angles some of them get quite into detailed scientific questions of alien life and what would it be made of and will we ever find it and other people are more concerned with you know why are you even talking about space exploration and one of the things i found over the couple of years when i had these conversations and, and wrote these chapters was that in fact i did end up covering every aspect of these these different types of questions and their different sort of manifestations. Do you find yourself still having these conversations with taxi drivers? Yes, I have a document on my laptop with another 18 essays. <laughs> so if if this book, I mean, it depends on whether this book is successful. If it is, um, and, and Harvard or, or anyone else who's interested decides that a second volume would be a good idea i'm ready to write a second volume and in fact you know now it's turned into a bit of a um i, I would almost say a hobby of taking taxi journeys and deliberately starting conversations because i suppose in some ways taxi drivers start making you come up with a catalog of all the different questions that are of interest to people and it's not like some of these questions and have never been thought of before uh, I think very few of these conversations 
are totally original in the history of science. But what taxi drivers do is they home in on the priority questions, if you like, the things that are, are, the, that are at the top of people's minds. And so now, as I say, I have another 18 of these questions that people care about that I was not able to write about in this first book. And I would love to write another book on um, on these on these questions. But, but but of course, the first thing to worry about is whether the public are interested in the first 18 essays that I'm just about to publish. So we'll see what happens with that first. And then, you know, if people like it. Uh, maybe there's a case for trying to convince someone to publish another 18 essays but it's fun you know even if they never get published it's enormous fun to talk about these things with with taxi drivers and they're very they're very open minds i think people will like it just because cosmos was such an interesting way to explain these things for a long time but now your book is more conversational it's more back and forth yes i suppose so I, and i hope that's how people will enjoy it it's not an original format there's a there's a wonderful um book in in the in the in the 17th century written by french writer fontenelle where he's talking about uh, life in the universe or life on the moon specifically and the book is set up as a conversation between him and a marquis sitting in some aristocratic garden in in france talking about alien beings on the moon it's a conversation between him and, and her and in some sense this is a similar modern take. It's a conversation between me and taxi drivers. It's slightly, you know, it's slightly different than an aristocratic French garden, but the concept is the same, which is a conversation. And, uh, and and so I don't claim to have invented this as a as a narrative device, but I do think it's a very effective way. Uh, as I wrote these essays, I began to realise it's a way to be quite. Um, how do I explain it? Relaxed about it because you're having a conversation with a cab driver, but at the same time to have a credible conversation, you can get into detail, you can get into uh, specific points about things, but at the same time, because it's a conversation, you can keep the, the tone of it to uh, a relatively easily understood level rather than going into great academic detail, which, which you would never really do in the back of a taxi anyway. So in some sense, it's a way of controlling myself because I could happily write an essay that's tremendously academically boring and would uh, be the most tedious thing you've ever written. And, and indeed, in my professional life, I write a lot of documents that are quite dry and dry and academic. But when you sit in front of your laptop and you have to write it about a subject as if you're talking with a taxi driver and, and you know recounting a real conversation you've had with a taxi driver, you actually don't have any other choice than to put it in words that are understandable. Otherwise, it's not a faithful replication of the conversation just because the conversation is lighthearted. So I found it a very enjoyable and effective way to talk about things that were of interest to taxi drivers, uh, but in a way that will, will hopefully be understandable to people. So it was enormously enjoyable. And I, as I said, I would love to do more of it. We'll, we'll see how it goes down. So um, the book is really funny and informative. And um, so I'm imagining some of that comes from just the structure of talking to a lay person and having all of this knowledge that you've accumulated for years and years. Um, but was it something you had to work at to kind of get a nice balance of understandable language in the book? The, the interesting thing is that every taxi driver is different. And so naturally every essay is different. And some of them are a little bit more serious because the conversation was serious. 
but then other ones are a little bit more crazy and funny, like the right wing taxi driver I had in Leicester, who was worried about Martians coming and taking jobs in Leicester. You, you can't recount that conversation without it being funny, just because of the character involved. And so a lot of the heavy lifting of this work is done by the taxi driver. And if I write the essay faithful to how to the personality of the taxi driver, you naturally end up with conversations that go in very different directions, some of them more funny than others, some of them more serious than others. And so again, it's a, it's a fun way to talk about science because it almost it's someone else who's doing the work for you. You just have to recount the conversation and, and of course, write the, the technical stuff in a way that's slightly more credible. Of course, the essays that I write are not conversations verbatim with the taxi driver I, you know they needed editing to make sure that the science was was well explained and things perhaps that weren't explained in the back of the cab are understandable to the reader but but in fact that that work is not so difficult when the the character of the conversation has been made by the the personality of the driver so again that that's another fun part of it and as probably any listener will be aware taxi drivers do have very different outlooks on life some of them quite interesting and when you apply those personalities to questions about alien life you can end up with some quite uh, amusing conversations what was your favorite conversation i think it was the right-wing taxi driver in leicester <laughs> just because it was so i, I don't know um it, it was the it was the contrast, I think, between the whole area of astrobiology and thinking about life in the universe and this person worried about job seeking Martians coming and taking uh, jobs in this sort of slightly, as I say, right wing uh, concern about immigrants in Leicester. And it is a I tell you why I find it found it funny, just because the conversation was amusing from the from the start. But again, it's another one of these examples of of things that do concern people. You know, people actually do get worried about people coming and taking their jobs. It's totally reasonable when people are maybe worried that they might lose their own job and their livelihood. These are the things that that quite reasonably concern people. So when you take something like that and you tag it onto something that for me is a very rarefied conversation every day about life in the universe. When I talk about life in the universe, it's all about the chemistry of life and how do we detect life on another planet? It doesn't usually involve, at the same time, a conversation about immigration and um, and job prospects. But when you fuse those two things together in a taxi cab, you've got this wonderful whirlwind of something that's uh, very academic and scientific, search for life in the universe, connected with something very mundane and everyday that's a perfectly legitimate concern of, of a taxi driver. And what you end up with is a this sort of hybrid um, crossbreed, if you like, between a, a scientific conversation and a very raw social concern. And actually what you end up with something is, you, you end up saying this, that's fun, but it has a serious aspect to it, which is, you know, why are we thinking about these, these matters of life in the universe when people have much more prosaic, everyday concerns about where their next meal comes from? So I think that's the fun of the book. It's the fun of the book, but it's also the serious part of the book. The, the amusement of it actually hides the serious question about why, as, as a civilization, we do spend our time trying to answer these questions about life in the universe when on the streets people have 
uh, many more concerns that they would argue that academics and uh, the state and private institutions as well should be prioritizing. So there's a, there's a there's a serious side to mixing these two things together, and it was great fun to do that. And I and I hope that you know the people reading the book will will get will also get some entertainment out of it, but also a little bit of a touch of an understanding of you know where these questions of life in the universe fit in with our with our society. I really enjoyed the societal aspects. So I actually studied anthropology. So <laughs> it was like really, oh, these are actually just, I was expecting it to just be very much, here's an explanation of alien life in the universe, but it was so much more. It was an exploration of people and the concerns that they have with your work. I, I'm glad you say that. I mean, it's good to hear that. I, I hoped to put in, um, well, Going back to what I said earlier, some of that came automatically out of conversations with taxi drivers. I actually didn't really have to sit down and think, how am I going to make this societally relevant? Because the taxi driver did that through the questions they asked. But it was also for me an excuse to explore some of the more philosophical aspects of this area. And there are many questions that are not uh, addressable purely by science. For example, should we care about microbes, which is something I address in that book. If you, if we found microbes on Mars, would we care about them or would we just bleach them like we bleach the microbes in our houses? And this raises questions about how we treat microbes on the Earth. You know, should they be part of our environmental ethics? They make up a huge amount of the biomass of life on Earth. They also make up a huge amount of the diversity of life on Earth. And yet we tend to focus on tigers and, and whales and pandas and things that, that look cute and cuddly. You don't see people with T-shirts saying, save the microbes. And yet microorganisms form the base of our, our biosphere. So these are, these are social questions. They're philosophical questions, but they are very much tied into our thinking about life in the universe and the place it has uh, in our in our thoughts about the biosphere and our relationship to it. So I wanted to address those in the book. And what was nice about having a conversation with taxi drivers is it is an opportunity to address these more philosophical aspects of life in the universe, precisely because the taxi drivers bring up these questions about society. You know, why should I care about Martian microbes? Immediately raises a question of, well, why should any of us care about microbes? And why are we trying to make some microbes extinct, for example, like smallpox? What right do we have to make smallpox extinct when it would be considered insanity to make tigers extinct, even though we know that some tigers kill people? So these are, these are, as I say, questions that can't necessarily be addressed by applying the scientific method. They're not science questions, but they are philosophical questions. And they are the questions that concern people outside of, of, the scientific community uh, and the book was a was a great opportunity to to bring in some of that and say here here are the things that that concern uh, people beyond the science so I did try to talk about that book as well um, one of my favorite conversations was the guy who was wondering why we were even looking into outer space because of the issues that he was having personally and the people that he knew yeah that's right and that's uh I mean, that's a common question, actually, uh, amongst taxi drivers, but I also find among the general public, you know, why are we going into space when we should be solving problems on the Earth? And that essay I wrote was just to pick up on some points. 
uh, in particular the way in which we use space to understand the earth you know our understanding of the carbon dioxide levels in the atmosphere our understanding of sea level our understanding of um how quickly the rainforests are burning down and where there's illegal logging all these things are mapped by satellites in space and in fact it would be very difficult to map carbon dioxide across the whole planet from the surface of the earth you, know, you could launch aircraft and rockets to take samples but that in itself would be hugely environmentally destructive so having a satellite going round and round the earth in space constantly mapping our atmosphere constantly mapping the oceans looking at wildfires uh, mapping the rainforest all of this can be done many times a day uh, from space using satellites. So people forget that, of course, the exploration of space is what allows us to look after the Earth. These are not, it's not an either or thing. The exploration of space helps us protect the Earth. And going further afield, of course, um, studying places like Mars and Venus is gives us new perspectives on the Earth. And the best analogy, which is what I describe in that chapter, is it, very simply, it's a bit like going on holiday. You know, when you go abroad, you get a completely new perspective on your home country. You know, you might eat different food, you might learn new customs, and you come back home with a fresh perspective on your own country. You may even see things in a slightly more negative way. You may even appreciate other things a bit more, you know, like um, uh, you know, certain aspects of your food or, or the standards of living. You might appreciate them, you never thought about them before. Other parts of culture, you might think, why do we do things like that? I'm sure we could do that better. So going abroad gives you a fresh perspective. And so too, when we go to other planets like Mars and Venus, it's like an astronomical holiday. And we are, by going to these other planets, we're learning about Earth and we're understanding why is it that the Earth supports life? What is it about this planet that allows it to support life? And how might we do damage to this planet um, if we were to change atmospheric composition? or change sea level, or increase the amount of desert? And you can only answer those questions, well, when I say you only can answer those questions, that, that, that's probably inaccurate. You can better answer those questions by, by looking at other planets and understanding how the Earth compares to them. So space exploration is very much part of our, uh, our understanding of the Earth and improving looking after the home planet. And in that essay, I was trying to get across just a few of those arguments about uh, how how, how looking after the earth yes can, can how how how, look, how looking into space can help us look after the earth and that was a conversation with a taxi driver in london and i think it's quite a common conversation actually it's one of the most common conversations i have with taxi drivers of course in this book i i select conversations uh that 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 tackle different parts of life in the universe but i've had many of these conversations with taxi drivers and it's quite interesting to know uh, to think about which of them are more common than others. In fact, maybe maybe that's another essay right there to talk about the numbers of different conversations I've had with different taxi drivers about different parts of uh, life in the universe. Um, going off of that, I really enjoyed the chapter about uh, Venus's greenhouse gases and how yes. we can understand Earth's process of essentially superheating, right? <laughs> Yes, uh -huh. v Venus has um, you know, over over 95% carbon dioxide in its atmosphere, or about 95%, forget the exact percentage now. But anyway, um, it, it's got a percentage of carbon dioxide that's far, far higher than it will ever be on the Earth caused by humans. Uh, and eventually, in about you know, 
couple of billion years, two or three billion years. It may be similar to Venus, but but it, it's never going to reach above 90% caused by humans. But the principle of the greenhouse effect that we observe on Venus, which is the trapping of infrared radiation that heats the planet, is exactly the same as the greenhouse warming caused by uh, anthropogenic human production of carbon dioxide that increases in our own atmosphere. So much less carbon dioxide, but the principle of heating is exactly the same. And so by looking at a planet like Venus, uh, you get an insight into the processes that can occur on our own planets. And in fact, Venus was a uh, in some sense, a wake-up call in the 60s when when people started to to observe the conditions on the surface of Venus and study its atmosphere in more detail into the 70s. Uh, that was our, our first time that we truly saw the greenhouse effect happening on another planet and saw how it works and the magnitude of that greenhouse effect, which gave us better insights into how it might occur on our own planet. Do you find that having been a professor of astrobiology for quite a while has helped you with these conversations? I think so. Um, you know, of course, it means that you end up learning a lot about different subjects. And I teach undergraduates. So uh, you also get a lot of experience in in delivering this material in an easily understandable way, just because my undergraduates are first and second year. So they're coming in from school and they uh, you know, they're learning about different subjects, different areas. So certainly that improves your understanding of a, a whole breadth of subjects and how to um, how to explain it. But, but I would also say that simply talking to taxi drivers themselves is in itself a learning experience on how to get these ideas across in, a, in an easily understandable way. And I should say before that sounds rather um, uh, rather condescending. You know, taxi drivers are bright people like most of the public. I mean, one doesn't have to work that hard to get these things across. It's not like uh, they don't understand these things. I think most people have a grasp of, of many of these areas. So it's not that difficult. But but certainly there there is a, you know, I think there's a skill you have to learn in terms of explaining things as an academic. You can end up getting quite caught up in the detail of it and, and trying to explain concepts in planetary sciences and biology in a 20 minute taxi drive is is something you have to learn over over time and and although i enjoy generally explaining astrobiology to members of the public the taxi driving the taxi driver experience was definitely a good way to hone my my capacity <laughs> to explain a complex topic uh, before i reach my destination in, in a in a quick and easily understandable way and, and a fun way as well are we going to have like the barista files after this? <laughs> I, I was trying to think about how other ways in which you could do this. I mean, the taxi drivers was always a good way to do it. I could think about other other conversations you could have with different people in different walks of life. I mean, the the, the narrative device here, just having a conversation uh, could probably work with all sorts of people. But but having said that, I, I and maybe it's just my prejudice having now written a whole book on it. But But I definitely think you know, when I look around at other ways of doing this, I think the taxi driver is still a very, uh, a very good way, a very effective way of, of having this type of two-way uh, dialogue and conversation. Just because I, I still think taxi drivers are one of the most ideal types of human beings to be having a, a conversation about a whole range of different subjects in, in you know, in biology or anything else. 
I love that you don't talk down to them either. Um, so that's really easy to do as like an academic. You just get caught up in details. And then when people don't necessarily understand right away, it can be frustrating, right? Um, but you do really well at not dumbing things down too much, but also making them accessible. Uh, yeah, well, thank you again. I mean, I, I think there's no reason to to talk down to anyone. And, um, you know, as I say, one should always be surprised at how much people people know about subjects. Uh, and even if they don't, how much people are willing to engage with things that they don't know about. Uh, and people are bright. You know, there's a, there's, there's a difference between having knowledge and, and I suppose some sort of intricate knowledge as an academic, which obviously one has if you spent, you know, like I have 25 years thinking about particular things. It, it needless to say, you end up with quite a depth of understanding. But that doesn't mean to say other people are not bright enough to understand things. You, one shouldn't confuse not spending 25 years thinking about astrobiology with not being bright or being dumb. Uh, that's that's a terrible um, error to make. Uh, and just be, and so if you feed people the 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 technical knowledge in an easily understood way. Or the, or the specific arguments around a subject. People will very quickly pick up on that and grasp what you're talking about and have their own views. As I say, you know, people are people are bright. They just haven't spent 25 years thinking about something. And I'm dumb in terms of other things. I couldn't have a conversation with someone about, um, I don't know, um, I could think of anything. Football isn't something I'm desperately interested in. There are plenty of people who have spent 25 years talking about football who are brighter in inverted commas than I am, in the sense they understand the rules. But if they talk to me about it in a way I can understand, I can perfectly well have a conversation with them. I may not have the detail. So, so, so yes, I mean, that's just a long-winded way of saying, I think, you know, most people can pick up on these things very quickly. There's no reason to talk down to people. And what's fun about taxi conversations is that, you know, once you start a conversation with someone and you feed some facts into into the discussion, and you you get into a um, a strain of of discussion that they're interested in, then the conversation just carries on on its own, and they will be asking you stuff to try and find out about things that you know about, but they will have their own views on it, and that's where I try and do my best when having these conversations to allow them to drive the conversation because then you end up with the most fun essay at the end of it where it's not just me recounting a bunch of facts but that the, the color of the conversation is is made by the particular person you're you're talking to and their particular view on things yeah so uh what would you recommend reading um to go along with taxi from another planet that's a good question. Um, you know, there's a lot of popular science out there on um, astrobiology, on on exoplanets. Uh, I'm just trying to think. Um, I'm terrible at remembering, uh, remembering the names of books. I mean, Louisa Preston wrote a very good book, so, book on um, uh, a book called Goldilocks, which is looking at the you know the the conditions for extreme life. And that's a popular science book about astrobiology. Uh, Lewis Darton has written books. There's, uh, you know, there's more serious textbooks as well on uh, on astrobiology. If you want to get into the technicalities of it, uh, you can find those 
on i mean it's invidious for me to sit here and list people's books because there are so many good books out there but if you go onto amazon and write uh you know astrobiology uh popular science books or habitable world or exoplanets you'll find all sorts of books out there that are now being written that deal with different aspects of of astrobiology so i think you could find any number of books to read alongside uh my book um so yeah there's lots of good stuff out there well thank you um uh lastly what is the life beyond project that you're part of yeah the life beyond project was a project i started with the scottish prison service about now would have been four and a half years ago um i had this idea in my head for a long time that prisons are a bit like planetary stations you know they've got confined populations who are disconnected with the outside environment they have experience of confinement quite strong social groupings uh, and so in some sense you can think of the prison population as a population of people that have the most remarkable experience of living on other planetary bodies you can think of the prison system as the world's largest planetary analog program so I thought, wouldn't it be great if you could go into prison and get prisoners to design lunar and Martian stations because they have this experience and they know what would be successful in living on the moon and Mars. So I set up a project with the Scottish Prison Service and I went into prisons with my students and we established this course called Life Beyond that gets prisoners to design lunar and Martian stations. And that's what we've been doing for four years. And we've published two books now with the British Interplanetary Society, which is a, a British space advocacy group that, that published the books. And they contain the designs of lunar and Martian stations developed by prisoners in Scottish prisoners. Um, beautiful artwork, fantastic engineering designs. Uh, they even came up with uh, Martian blues music that they wrote. Uh, they wrote essays from Mars. They painted these wonderful paintings of Mars stations. So this isn't just about science and technology. It's all about art and literacy skills. And what it does is it gives prisoners the opportunity to, to contribute towards real research. We, we've never built a station on the moon or Mars. So anyone's ideas are as good as anyone else's. So although prisoners may not have the technical background of say a space agency, they certainly have creativity. Uh, unbounded creativity. So we let that run right and they design these these wonderful Mars stations. And you can get these books on Amazon. Uh, the proceeds go to the British Interplanetary Society sort of education projects there. But you can find those two books, Life Beyond From Prison to the Moon and From Prison to the Mars, From Prison to Mars, um, of these stations designed by prisoners. But most impressively, you know, these books go back into the prisons. And it's a wonderful way for prisoners to see that education can be fun. Uh, many people in prisons do not necessarily have very positive experiences of education. Uh, in some cases, maybe not very positive experiences of authority and authority figures. And, and what we hoped to do was to give them a, an educational experience that was from, an, from someone outside the prison system. Uh, who they could work with and, and enjoy this idea of doing this outside course with the University of Edinburgh, where they would see that education is fun. Within a very short amount of time, you can contribute completely new ideas to, and write a book. So they go from no knowledge of space exploration to publishing a book in about four months. And that's a, a really powerful experience for them. And in the process, they contribute something completely new to space exploration. So these books go off to space agencies and we send them out to libraries. Uh, and you know, these books are in um, in the National Library up here as well. 
and people can get those books and space engineers can get those books and use them maybe one day what part of those designs will end up for real on the moon and mars but above all it's a really exciting way to contribute to education programs in prisons and to improve uh to, to make a contribution to improving educational opportunities in prisons and often those science educational opportunities in prisons are not very um widespread particularly from outside organizations very few universities go into prisons and offer uh, science programs. There are a few of them out there, but but there aren't that many. So that's another, uh, I hope, contribution of the project. So that's the Life Beyond project, getting getting prisoners to uh, contribute. And I should say, just as a plug, uh, we we turned this project into standalone materials that can be done by any prisoner around the world. So if there's anyone out there in the in the criminal justice system in any country around the world who wants to introduce this into a prison, you can download our materials for free um, and you can get in contact with me in Edinburgh if you can't find them and I can send them to you. And they allow a prisoner in their own cell or in a learning center to work through these materials and design their own lunar or Martian station without any extra books and materials. So these are standalone short activities where they can design a Martian government and design a lunar sport contribute to a lunar or Martian cookbook. So so if anyone is looking for prison educational materials, um, that's all now available for anyone, uh, as I say, around the world to download it and apply it in any prison. And we would love to see that used. So that's just a, just an, an advertisement for anyone who might have, have those connections. Well, I'm excited. I want to go look up the books now and see what everybody came up with. <laughs> Yeah, they, they did some impressive work, um, really imaginative work. It's good, good, good material. Well, thank you, Charles, for joining me. Thank you very much, Dakota. Thank you for inviting me. It's been a pleasure to talk about this. Uh, Taxi from Another Planet is out August 30th. It's a fun read with lots of great information on the origins of life, potential aliens, and so much more. <laughs> As always, thanks for joining me and have a great day.